Amen. I want you to imagine that it's your birthday this week. Maybe for some of you it is. And a friend comes by your house with a surprise. It is a birthday cake. Now, I don't mean like one of those pretend wannabe cakes that they make at Walmart Bakery. I mean like a bakery birthday cake. And it's a good one. And they put it on the counter and they say, I hope you like birthday cake. And you say, yes, of course, I'm a real human being with feelings. Of course, I like birthday cake. And so you open the box and you're about ready to get yourself a slice you're so grateful. You're just so overjoyed. This incredible blessing of a surprise bakery birthday cake. And just as you're about ready to slice off your first piece, your friend says, wait a minute. I haven't told you the rules yet. Rules? I didn't think birthday cake needed rules. Oh, yes, this cake needs rules. You say, okay, what are the rules? Well, you can only eat the cake on Tuesdays. Okay, thankfully, it's Tuesday. Between 2.17 and 2.19 p.m. Central Standard Time. You can only cut it with a stainless steel cake knife. If you like ice cream with your cake, you can only have French vanilla. And it has to be put on a separate uh, eating device. And you cannot use a paper plate or a styrofoam plate. You cannot use a plastic plate. You have to use fine china to eat this cake. You cannot use a fork. You have to use a spoon. Every bite must be chewed for approximately 19.3 seconds. And on and on they go. At some point, I think, most of us would close the cake box, give it back to our friend, and say, thank you very much. You have taken what was meant to be a blessing and turned it into a burden. Well, that's exactly what has happened in the text today, in Matthew chapter 12. God had given His people a blessing, and the religious leaders of the day had turned that blessing into a burden. If you're not already there, grab your app or your Bible or borrow one of the Bibles in the chair underneath you or in front of you and turn to Matthew chapter 12. We've been walking through the gospel of Matthew together, and if you've been with us the past few weeks, you know that Jesus had just recently sent His disciples out on a short-term mission trip. They're now back with Jesus, and immediately Back with Jesus, the disciples find themselves embroiled in controversy. In fact, in our text, there are two separate controversies, both about the same topic, but two separate controversies that are so fierce and so intense that by the end of the text, the religious leaders of the day are plotting how to kill their teacher, Jesus Christ. Now, what could possibly cause a controversy that would prompt such a ferocious response? The source of that controversy was not, none other than the Sabbath. The Sabbath, which was meant to be a blessing to the people of God, has now become 
a burden. If you were with us last week, you, you watched the heart of Christ as He offered an invitation to any would come to Him and He would unburden their weary souls. Ironically, one of the heavy burdens that God's people in that day were bearing was the burden of something that was intended to give them rest. It was none other than the Sabbath. So Jesus, gently and mercifully in our text, comes along to once again unburden His people and give them true rest. And once again, Jesus unburdens us by telling us something about who He is. I want you to look in your Bibles at Matthew 12, verse 8. And something that Jesus says in this verse, I think, is the hinge, the centerpiece of our text. Look at what Jesus says. The Son of Man. That's a nickname Jesus has for Himself. The Son of Man is Lord, boss, ruler, authority over the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That statement, I believe, is the most important sentence in this entire text today. Everything else that Jesus does and says about the Sabbath flows from, it's downstream from that statement. This morning, big idea I hope that you'll get from the text is that since Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, we can find our rest in Him. I'm going to show you, with God's help, three implications of that simple sentence. Since Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, we can find our rest in Him. Implication number one, don't add to the requirements of the Sabbath. Don't add to the requirements of the Sabbath. Look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. Now, remember the Sabbath. Uh, this is Saturday, the final day of the week. This was a day that the people of Israel were supposed to set apart as a day devoted to the Lord. It was supposed to be a day free from work. And for most of Israel's history, they really ignored the Sabbath command. In fact, if you read the prophets, particularly the prophet Jeremiah, the prophets will sometimes say, one of the reasons why you guys are going to go into exile is because you've ignored the Sabbath, because you didn't rest and you didn't let the land rest. I'm going to make it rest. You're going to go in exile. Well, after the exile, several hundred years before Christ, God's people return back to the land, and just like we usually do, they take the pendulum that was over here, ignoring the Sabbath, and they swing it all the way over here. And they say, we're going to make sure we don't ignore the Sabbath again. We're, we're going to overcorrect. We're going to make sure we do this right. And in that, they begin to add to the requirements of the Sabbath. We see that in verse 2. When the Pharisees saw it, when they see Jesus and His disciples walking through a field, grabbing some pieces of grain and eating them, listen to what they say. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to Him, to Jesus, Look, 
your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, I, I can't help but laugh a little bit when I look at that verse because it reminds me of conversations my kids sometimes have with me. Look, one of the kids is doing something that you said they're not allowed to do. Don't you see, mom and dad? Look over there. The Pharisees come up to Jesus and say, look, don't you see what your disciples are doing? And when I first told this story to my kids, they were concerned that the disciples were stealing. They're walking through someone's field. They grab some heads of grain. They begin to eat some, something from the field. But the law of God actually provided, in fact, it commanded, if you're a farmer, you have to allow the traveler to grab some food from your, from your crop. I mean, this is a day without... McDonald's and Chick-fil-A and Burger King. So when you're traveling somewhere, there's not, you know, a drive-through. There's not a pit stop. There's nothing like that. So if you don't have food, you're going to get really hungry. And so to care for the traveler, God's law commanded farmers to let people glean from the edges of their fields. So the disciples were doing what was perfectly acceptable in the law, but it violated the Sabbath laws of the Pharisees. Again, the Sabbath law required that you could not work on the Sabbath day. So if you're a farmer, you couldn't get out your plow and you couldn't plow the field. You couldn't harvest the grain. But these guys were just grabbing some heads of grain and eating it. And the Pharisees say, that's work. You violated the Sabbath law. Over time, the Jews, including the Pharisees, add significant requirements to the Sabbath. In the Talmud, which is a, a major collection of Jewish traditions and laws, there are 24 chapters listing Sabbath laws. 24 chapters of Sabbath laws. Some of their laws uh, said things like this. You know, the, the Scriptures say that you can't carry a burden on the Sabbath, but the Scripture never says, well, how heavy does something have to be to count as a burden? And so the rabbis, the teachers, those that wrote in the Talmud, the Pharisees, they said, well, let's answer that question for you. So they decided you couldn't carry a load heavier than a dried fig. And some said, well, what about, what about your clothes? Your clothes are heavier than a dried fig. And so the rabbi said, well, if you're wearing your clothes, you're not really carrying them. But if you carry your cloak, you can wear it on your body. But if you carry it, that's work. You're carrying a burden. If you were a person that had false teeth in Jesus' day, you could not wear them on the Sabbath according to their laws because that was carrying a burden. That exceeded the weight limit. The law forbade work on the Sabbath, but it didn't specify what counts as work, what isn't work. So once again, the Pharisees said, we'll help you out. So here's a rule. You can't throw something with one hand and catch it with the other hand. That's work. Can't do that on the Sabbath. You can't buy or sell anything on the Sabbath. You can't wash your clothes on the Sabbath. You can't mail a letter on the Sabbath. You can't light a fire or extinguish a fire on the Sabbath. You can't take a bath on the Sabbath because water might spill on the floor and accidentally wash it, and that's work. 
Ladies, if you lived in Jesus' day, you weren't allowed to look in a mirror on the Sabbath because on the Sabbath, if you looked into the mirror, you might see a gray hair and be tempted to pluck it out, and that's work. Some teachers forbade intimacy with one's wife on the Sabbath. That's too much work. Soldiers weren't allowed to fight on the Sabbath. In fact, the Jewish historian Josephus reported that roughly 60 years before the time of Christ, the Romans actually invaded and conquered Jerusalem, partly because the Jews refused to defend themselves on the Sabbath when they were being invaded, because that was work. It was illegal to spit on the ground on the Sabbath. Because if your spittle made a dent in the ground, you would be guilty of plowing. And if it so happened in God's providence to fall upon a seed, you would be guilty of sowing. One of the rabbis said, the rules about the Sabbath are like mountains hanging by a hair because the teaching of Scripture is little and the rules are many. John MacArthur summarizes, he says, instead of being a day of rest, the Sabbath had become a day of incredible burden. Because of the thousands of man-made restrictions, the Sabbath was more tiresome than the six days devoted to one's occupation. It was harder to rest than to earn a living, end quote. If you were to visit the nation of Israel today, you would find many rules like this are still in force. In fact, when I went to Israel a few years ago, uh, you could not use the elevator on the Sabbath. It's not entirely true. You could use the elevator, but you couldn't push the buttons because that's work. And so the elevators, this is true, the elevators are actually rigged so that on the Sabbath, they stop at every single floor. Nobody has to push a button. Nobody works. I just think it's a lot more work to sit in that elevator the whole time as you wait for it to go all the way to the top or all the way to the bottom. Adding requirements to the Sabbath. That's what the Pharisees did. Can I suggest to you, God's people, brothers, sisters, friends, this is a temptation that God's people still face today, to add to the requirements of Scripture, to take what God gives to us as a blessing and say, you know what, what we need to do is make the fence a little bit narrower and put some rules around that. And then we turn it into a burden. I remember in my little Southern Baptist church in central Ohio, most of the people in that church were very concerned about the culture and about some of the things that were taught in public school even way back in the 90s. And so there was a movement, a very strong movement within my church to promote homeschooling. And before long, it turned into, you know, really, if you're going to be a faithful parent, this is what you have to do. Now, should parents be engaged in what their children are learning? Yes. 
Should parents disciple and evangelize their children? Yes. Should parents lead at home? Yes. But once you then take those truths and say, therefore, you have to do fill in the blank to be a faithful Christian parent, that's the same mistake of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Another one was the issue of dating. I still remember hearing teaching in my youth group in my little Ohio church on the evils of dating and how the, the right way, the correct way was Christian courtship. And if you have no idea what any of that means, praise God I'm happy. That's wonderful. I still remember being 12 years old and asked by my father if I wanted to be betrothed to a young lady as I'm waiting in the McDonald's drive through line with my dad. I said, Dad, I just want a Big Mac. I don't really want to get betrothed right now. Um, in our church, we heard all this teaching about the evils of dating. And yes, young people, dating age, let's be clear. Can there be many evils in dating? Yes. Are there pitfalls? Yes. Is there sin? Yes. But once you say, therefore, the only way to do this rightly is this, you have added to the requirements of the law. That's what the people we're doing. Now, let me just stop and say, it's okay, dear brother, sister, to have personal convictions about these matters. It is okay to say as a family, we believe that the right thing for our kids is to homeschool, or we believe that courtship is the right thing, or arranged marriages, if that's your thing. We believe that it's best for our family to totally abstain from alcohol, or to not do anything with Santa, or to totally abstain from Halloween, or on and on and on we could go. But the minute you say, you must do that too. And you're not leaning on a clear, rock-solid teaching requirement of Scripture. You have slipped into the exact same error. You've added to the requirements of the Scriptures. Because Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, He wants us to find our rest in Him, not in our rules. There's a second implication of that big truth in our text this morning. Not only should we not add to the requirements of Scripture, we should not ignore the exceptions. Don't ignore the exceptions to the Sabbath. I want you to think for a second about Jesus. He's walking through the field with, the, with His disciples. They're, they're eating some heads of grain. They haven't broken God's law. The Pharisees said they broke the Sabbath. Jesus, look at what they did. Here, what would you do in that moment? Here's what I would do, without a doubt. What I would do is I would say, bro, that's your law. That's not the law of God. They broke your rules. They didn't break the Scriptures. But that's not what Jesus does. It's incredible to me. You know, let me be clear. Jesus does not, never broke one of the Sabbath rules in Scripture. He was without sin. And yet, when Jesus is confronted with these rule-piling-on Pharisees, 
He does not respond to them by saying, those are your rules. Jesus has a much deeper issue at play that he's after. Jesus wants to show them their entire approach to the law is wrong. Jesus wants to show them something about himself. And Jesus, in his response to these Pharisees, chose us three exceptions to the Sabbath commands in Scripture. Three things that are more important than the Sabbath. Three things more important than the Sabbath. First is the king. The king is more important than the Sabbath. Look at verse 3. Look at how Jesus responds. He said to them, Have you not read... Now stop for just a second before we go on. Remember who Jesus is talking to. Professional Bible readers. That's pretty much their job. And Jesus, perhaps with a twinkle in his eye and a smile on the corner of his lips, says, haven't you read? Haven't you read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence? which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only the priests. Haven't you read that story? Now, if you know your Old Testament, you might remember that story from 1 Samuel chapter 21. David, he's the Lord's anointed future king of Israel, and he's on the run from King Saul. King Saul wants to kill David. David's on the run. He's on the run with his mighty men, and they're hungry. They're renegades, they're outlaws, they need some food. It's the Sabbath day, and they go, to, they go to the tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, there was this special bread that was set out every Sabbath called the bread of the presence. Think, kids, think like the communion bread, you know, that's the fancy bread. If you're not a baptized believer, mom and dad probably tell you, don't eat that bread, it's not for you, I'll give you a snack later, it's not for you, it's special bread, Right? This is special bread, and in the law of God, it was reserved very clearly only to be eaten by the priests. But David comes, he's hungry. His mighty men are hungry, and they go to the priest, and the priest gives them the bread of the presence. Jesus brings up that story because nowhere else in the entire Old Testament is David judged for doing that or the priests. Jesus says, the king, David, and it'd be hard, you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody more popular than David in Jesus' day. He said, even David was allowed to break the Sabbath laws and eat the bread of the presence on the Sabbath day. Here's the implication, though, that Jesus is a better king than even David. The king is more important than the Sabbath. If King David can eat the bread of the presence and break the Sabbath law, then the king of kings and the Lord of lords can break your Sabbath laws. That's what Jesus is saying. Second exception begins in verse 5, where Jesus tells us that the temple is more important than the Sabbath. Look at verse 5. Or have you not read in the law? Again, Jesus asking them if they've read their Bibles. Haven't you read in the law how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? What's going on there? Now, if, if anybody broke the Sabbath, 
If anybody ever worked on the Sabbath, guess who it was? It was the priests. It's like if, if, if you're in ministry, if you're on staff at a church, Sunday's not an off day. It's not an off day. We're working today. It's a busy day for us, right? When you're working as a priest in the temple, if you're a Levite, you, Sabbath is not the day off for you. It's overtime day. And Jesus said, they're profaning the Sabbath, and yet they're not guilty. They haven't broken the law, even though they've worked. Why? Because something greater was there. The Sabbath law, as important as it was, was less important than the temple. The temple was more important than even the Sabbath. So Jesus says, if the priests can work on the Sabbath without guilt because the temple is more important than the Sabbath, then my followers can work on the Sabbath too. Say, why, Jesus? Look at verse 6. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. I would love to have seen the look on the Pharisees' faces when Jesus said that. They loved their temple. It was for them a mark of extreme pride, even though it was not quite the glorious structure that was Solomon's temple. This temple that Herod had rebuilt was a beautiful sight to behold. You could walk down the Mount of Olives towards Jerusalem, and you would see dazzling gold. That was the temple. And Jesus says, perhaps again with a twinkle in his eye, something greater than the temple is here. What, Jesus? Me. Jesus is greater than the temple. The temple, think about the temple for a second. The temple was the place that represented God's presence with His people. Think about it, that's what the temple was. The temple was a representation of the presence of God. You go to the end of your Bibles, the Bible will tell you in the book of Revelation, there is no temple there. Why? Because God is with us. He dwells among His people. And Jesus says, something greater than the temple is already here because I am not a mere representation of God's presence. I am God's presence. I am God with us. The temple is more important than the Sabbath. And number three, mercy is more important than the Sabbath. Look at verse 7. Jesus quotes the prophet, Hosea. And he says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus says, you're condemning me and my followers, but we don't have any guilt. You need to go back and read your Bibles you need to go back and read the prophets. Mercy is more important than the Sabbath. In Hosea, when Hosea said that God's people were doing all the outward things that religious people do, but their hearts were far from God. 
And so God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Listen, I want your heart. I want a heart that's been transformed, so transformed by my grace that it overflows in mercy, not judgment towards other people. Isn't that a sign that the gospel has transformed your heart, Christian? that you have a lot less of a judgmental, pharisaical sort of attitude towards others, and what overflows is mercy. Jesus says mercy is more important than the Sabbath. And He illustrates that in the second story in our text, beginning in verse 9. Jesus went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. His, his hand was deformed somehow, some way. And the Pharisees asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? Just put yourself in the shoes of that man for a second. Your hand's deformed. It's the Sabbath. You go to the synagogue. You're a good Jew. You want to worship God. You want to hear the Scriptures being read. And these religious leaders are using you as a trap to try to trick Jesus. Now, the Scriptures, by the way, say nothing about healing being against the law on the Sabbath. But the Pharisees did. If you read their rules about the Sabbath, they said that you were only allowed to keep someone alive. So if you broke your leg on the Sabbath... Sorry, not life-threatening. You'll have to wait until tomorrow before we fix that. You could only intervene to keep someone from dying. That was it. You got a migraine? Sorry, save the Tylenol till tomorrow. It's the Sabbath day. Can't heal on the Sabbath. In fact, some teachers even said that it was against the law to pray for someone to be healed on the Sabbath because someone might be prompted to work in response to your prayer. Huh. And so, they look at Jesus and they think, we're going to get him. Is it lawful to heal somebody on the Sabbath? What's Jesus going to do? Now, Jesus is a compassionate person, but He could wait to heal him tomorrow, right? There's no reason why Jesus has to heal this man today. He isn't dying. He's got a deformed hand. Certainly, it's inconvenient. Certainly, it's painful in a way. But this isn't a life and death sort of situation. This guy's going to be fine another day. Jesus, don't rock the boat here. That's not the way that Jesus thinks. Look at verse 11. He said to them, Which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep. Let me just stop for a second. I, I, I think, I was listening as Jackie read earlier, that sentence blew me away. How much more value is a man than a sheep? Think about who's saying that. God is saying that. 
Think about what sheep have done to sin against a holy God. Got your list together? You know what's on that list? Nothing. All sheep have ever done is be sheep. That's all they do. And they're perfect sheep to the glory of God. They're sheepy. That's exactly what they're supposed to be. And what have you done, dear friend? How many times have you refused to believe the promises of God? How many times have you doubted His mercy and care? How many times have you, like Micah prayed so well earlier, held on in anger or in seething rage, bitterness against a person, even though you have been forgiven far more? How many times have you lusted and lied? How many times have you deceived and disobeyed? How often has rebelliousness crept into your heart? How often are you apathetic towards the God that created everything? Listen, I would be much more likely to say, I'd rather have the sheep than all of us. But that's not the way that Jesus thinks. Because God has created you, friend, in His image. Every human life, even those with deformed hands and deformed minds, are precious in the sight of a holy God. He loves you, friend. So Jesus responds to the Pharisees, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. I love how powerful the Word of Jesus is. He speaks a word and things happen. Can I tell you that the Word of Christ is just as powerful today? As God speaks to us through His Word, things happen. He saves sinners. He convicts of sin. He restores broken relationships. He speaks and things happen happen. Now, now, the Pharisees could have responded to Jesus, listen, these aren't acts of mercy, Jesus. These disciples, your, your, your disciples aren't going to die if they don't eat a snack on the Sabbath. This man's not going to die if you don't heal his hand on the Sabbath. But you see the heart of Jesus here, don't you? Jesus cares even for small things, relatively speaking, like everyday hunger and a disability. Jesus cares about those things, and for Him, those are acts of mercy. And Jesus says, it is right to do good on the Sabbath. It is right. You also see in Jesus' response, Jesus' deity. He is God. He, he is the greater King than David. He is the temple greater than Solomon's, and He gives greater mercy than anyone before or since. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And 
John's gospel and another controversy about the Sabbath, Jesus says, my father is working until now and I am working even on the Sabbath day. And this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, breaking their Sabbath rules, he was call, even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Do you see what Jesus is trying to do as He responds to the Pharisees? They're interested in rules. Jesus refuses to debate them at that level, and instead, He says, this is about who I am. Who am I? Do you believe that something, someone greater than the temple is here? Now, before we move on, it could be that there are some in this room that have the same heart as the Pharisees. A, legal, a legalistic heart is more concerned with rule following than the rule giver. Is that your heart this morning, brother, sister? Do you look down on those who have different convictions from you? Is your heart inclined towards judgment when you look at those around you or mercy? Do you feel pride in your obedience to God? Do you feel like as long as you fill in the blank, whatever the rule is, as long as you do that thing, then you're going to be okay? What makes you feel closer to God, your rule-keeping or repentance of sin? When's the last time you confessed your sin to God? Do you, do you tithe down to the last penny and yet refuse to be generous to people in your life? Do you apply the sermons that you hear to somebody else in the room instead of yourself? Are you doing that now? Do you celebrate how far people have gone or do you only see how far they still need to go? Where's your heart? The gospel, the good news that Jesus gives rest for weary souls is meant to lead us to be people that overflow with mercy towards others. So don't add to the requirements of the Sabbath and don't ignore the exceptions of the Sabbath. There's a final implication of Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath, we must not miss the fulfillment of the Sabbath. We must not miss the fulfillment of the Sabbath. How are you going to respond to this Jesus? How, how are you going to respond to Him? Look at how the Pharisees responded. You can see it in verse 14. The Pharisees went out and conspired against Him how to destroy Him. Again, there's something ironic there, isn't there? We are so concerned about keeping the law that we're going to kill this lawbreaker. What? That's what they're doing, isn't it? Violating an even greater law while they're seeking to uphold another. That's how they responded to Jesus. And it could be, dear friend, when, when your convictions are challenged, maybe you respond in the same way. But thankfully, I think that's not most of us, if any of us, although we might be bent out of shape a little bit. But let me just challenge us. We've got to do more than merely not be like the Pharisees. 
We have to have a better bar, a better standard than that. If we're going to find our rest in Jesus as the Lord of the Sabbath, here's what I propose we need to do. We need to look at the Sabbath from this side of the cross as Christians. We need to look at the Sabbath as Christians. We dare not, we must not miss how Jesus has fulfilled the Sabbath. Let me give you two reasons why Jesus has fulfilled the Sabbath. Number one, the Sabbath was a sign of the Old Covenant. The Sabbath was the sign of the Old Covenant. When did the Sabbath begin? Shout it out. When did it begin? I'm hearing some muttering, Genesis, Exodus. There's some debate on that. Some people say the Sabbath began in Genesis. And if you read the Genesis account, you'll notice God creates on the sixth day. And what does He do on the Sabbath? He rests on the Sabbath. And some people say the Sabbath was hardwired into creation from the very beginning. The problem with that is that the word Sabbath is not there. Also, if you read Genesis chapter 1, you'll notice it says six times, evening and the morning were the first day, evening and morning, second day, evening and morning, third day, and on and on. But by the time you get to the seventh day, it doesn't say evening and morning anymore. It's almost as if the rest that begins on the Sabbath day, the seventh day in the creation account is supposed to extend to the entire creation. God creates and He says, now rest, and life is rest. But our first parents disobeyed pretty quickly, didn't they? But from Adam and Eve on to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, not one time will you ever see any of those individuals commanded to keep the Sabbath. Not once will you see them ever judged for breaking the Sabbath. For those of you that said the Sabbath began in Exodus, I think you're right. The Sabbath command begins after Israel is rescued from slavery. Look at Exodus chapter 31. It's on the screen. Verses 12 and 13. After the Lord said to Moses, you are, or and the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. That word sign is really important. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll notice there's a series of covenants that are given. Uh, you think of the, the covenant that God makes with Noah. What's the sign of that covenant? It's the rainbow. You think about this, the covenant that God makes with Abraham. The sign of that covenant was circumcision. And then along comes Moses, and the sign of that covenant is a day off. Sabbath is meant to be a sign of the covenant with Moses. Are we under the covenant with Moses? The answer to that question is emphatically no. Listen to Hebrews chapter 8. It's on the screen as well, verses 6 and 13. The whole passage is helpful, but we're just looking at a couple verses. Verse 6, as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that's much more excellent than the old covenant, than the old, as the covenant He mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. 
Verses 7 and 12 say the problem wasn't the old covenant, but that God's people couldn't obey it. So he quotes Jeremiah 33, which promises a new and better covenant where God writes the law on our hearts. And then verse 13, it says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The old covenant is obsolete. We are now under the new covenant, and the sign of that covenant is baptism and the Lord's Supper. So the Sabbath was a sign of the old covenant. We've got new signs for a new covenant. The second reason why the Sabbath has been fulfilled is because the Sabbath was a shadow pointing to Christ. In Matthew 12, verse 6, Jesus said that He was a new and better temple. All the language about the temple in the Old Testament was pointing towards its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. The same is true about the Sabbath. Listen to Colossians chapter 2. Paul writes this in verses 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. To insist on Sabbath obedience today would be like a husband falling in love with his wife's shadow and ignoring his wife. Jesus is the substance. The Sabbath was the shadow. So I've got good news for you. You're allowed to go out to eat on the Sabbath day. You're allowed to cut your grass on the Sabbath day. You can do laundry on the Sabbath day. You can do all of these things because the Sabbath was here for a season to point us to the reality who is Christ. And we find our rest not in a day, but in a person. Now, let me just conclude by a couple of practical things. Some might ask, well, does this mean that I don't need to rest? Absolutely not. Rest in a couple of ways. Let me suggest some ways that all of us need to rest. Rest by trusting Jesus for your salvation. That is the most important way to rest. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4 makes this very clear. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his This, dear brother, sister, friend, this is the gospel. Not that we work and work and work to be accepted by God, but we receive that acceptance through faith in Jesus Christ. And we trust that Jesus did the work. That's our Sabbath. Believing, trusting in, resting in the gospel that Jesus died on our behalf and rose from the dead. Also rest by gathering with God's people to celebrate the Lord's, to celebrate the Lord of the Sabbath. We don't gather on Sunday as a Christian Sabbath. This isn't our Sabbath. We gather on Sunday in obedience to what the apostles did in the New Testament 
And we gather on Sunday in obedience to clear commands like Hebrews chapter 10, not to forsake the assembling of the brethren. We gather for worship. <coughs> we gather to encourage each other, to build each other up, and even to do work on the Lord's day. But it's not a Sabbath in the same way. We gather here to remember why we rest. We rest by trusting God's sovereignty amidst the busyness of life. This is, I think, the hardest one for some of us. It's the hardest one for me. Just stop and rest that God is in control. And He can handle things. Psalm 127 verses 1 and 2 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for He gives to His beloved sleep. Can I suggest to you, Christian, some of the holiest things that you can ever do are lying down and taking a nap and believing that you can rest and God is in control. Did you know that only God finishes His to-do list every day? Only God does. And He does it perfectly. And we can take a day off because He doesn't stop working. We can go to sleep because He's working to keep us going. We can take a vacation because God is the one that holds everything together, not us. And finally, we rest by looking to heaven. That's where we will rest forever. And it's not a rest without labor. It's a rest for the soul where the labor doesn't lead to all the pain that we experience in this life when we work. I'm going to invite you, if you will, bow your heads. And once again, I want to lead us in prayer together. And after we pray, we're going to sing a song inviting us to come to Jesus and rest in Him. So if you would, bow your head, and I would ask you, are you trusting in Jesus for your salvation? If you're in this room and you're not a follower of Jesus, we would invite you to cry out to Him now and ask Him to save you. If you are, maybe you're forgetting how He's saved you. Maybe you're putting your confidence in your own works. Would you just now cry out to Him and ask Him to help you to rest in what He's done, not in what you do? Are you resting by trusting God's sovereignty amidst the busyness of your life? Are you scrambling, anxiously toiling day in and day out, trying to accomplish everything because you've got to do it or it won't get done? Would you just confess that to Him now? And ask Him for His help to trust Him? Are you looking to heaven 
our forever rest? Are you trying to build heaven on 